two, three, four. In this podcast, you will only hear Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader, includes but is not led to who talk of Star Wars, not Reagans. We can't truly prepare for the jump that follows this song, but hey, we give it a try. So here's the Knights of Vader. Crystal Fox reports they are divided. For equal sequel, hate and love they fight I know that we are just musicians hired. And their time is up, so here's the Knights of Vader. Most impressive. A big thank you to Anne Spiriority Complex for providing our theme song. It is March 23rd, 2019. My name is Zach Weber. Unfortunately, I don't have any of the fellow members of the Knights of Vader, but I can one-up them. I have Mr. John Justice, author, podcaster, radio tour. I don't think that's a real word, but I just made it up. <laughs> I like it. Did you tell the other people I was going to be on the show and they all bailed? They're like, oh, that John's guy is going to be on. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Even, this... I'm not going to bother this week. <laughs> oh, no, if only. Chances are when they hear I'm going to be on the show, they all bail. As time goes on, it's more and more solo episodes with me. I feel like everybody's <laughs> trying to tell me. It's kind of like being on the, the playground in like elementary school. Like the kid who didn't smell, everybody slowly moves away from him. Right. Except John didn't get that message this week. Well, you know, it, it, it's tough sometimes, and I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know um, the the other the other people's anger and the other people that come on the show with you. I you know, I don't know their level of fandom, but I think you and I have a lot in common because I, I know what when you get into that position where you want to do the show every week, but it's it's easy to find Star Wars fans. It's hard to find Star Wars fans that have the same level of sort of enthusiasm and interest that. That, that I do or that you do that actually want to do a show like every week. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I don't, I'm not saying that's what you're dealing with, but I had a similar issue. I tried to bring some people on the show. Uh, I don't know about a year and a half ago, the guys I do the radio show with, and it was fun having them on, but they just couldn't keep up. You know, they just didn't follow the stuff like I did. So, uh, yes, no, there are certain people. Like I love getting layman's opinions on star Wars. That's one of my, mm-hmm. I, I love bringing in the outside people and being like, Oh, what's your opinion on this? Because Disney's making the movies for you. They're not make. I already bought my ticket five years ago. They right. they aren't. They're not selling to me. They're selling to you, and that's and that's why I always love. And people are like, I don't like Star Wars. I don't want to talk about it. But I'm like, no, you're important to us nerds trying to figure out what it is that we're trying to glean from this. Right. But but uh, but no. For the record, no. Zanger, um, Jim, um, they got Mar- Mark had to depart, unfortunately. They're all no, they're all hardcore fans. It's just it's more of an availability thing. It's sure, like everybody, absolutely. Everybody's because Zenger and I are in the same time zone, but Jim's in a different one. Obviously, you're in a different one. So it's just trying to have the planets align, which is easier said than done. Well, either way, thanks for having me on this week, man. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Um, I, I this episode's coming out immediately. It's coming out Thursday. Are you still having the Embark digital book sale by this time? Um, no, by this time this is released, it'll probably be back up to two ninety nine, um, which still is, you know, it's still a bargain for fantastic entertainment. Um, yeah, so it'll probably be back uh, the, for the weekend. I have it at 99 cents, but uh, most likely by the time the podcast is up, you can still go to Amazon, search for John J.O. and Justice and pick up the uh, space opera science fiction novel and bark for two ninety nine on the ebook and thirteen ninety nine for the paperback and the audiobook too, of course. 
and there's a special version, John. This is for the the secret Embark members, or fa- this is for the fan club. John will actually come to your house for the low, low price of twenty thousand dollars plus uh, room and board, and he will read the book to you every evening as you try five, to fall asleep at night. Five grand. Five. Five. Five grand. I'll do, I'll do, I'll do, oh. it, for, I'll do it for five grand. Oh boy, Absolutely. you're getting to yeah, easy. You got to type when, when he comes to your door. You got to give him the Knights of Vader like passcode. <laughs> That's how you get the deal. Otherwise, if you don't <laughs> tell him that, it's twenty. <laughs> See, that folks, you're getting, you can see that's the ultimate bargain of the Knights of Vader podcast. We're saving you 15 grand. Creepy um, and weird. Oh, not at all. All right. But to, speaking of creepy and weird, to tonight's topic, we are talking about last week how what we can learn about Episode 9 from Return of the Jedi. But this week, we are doing it with The Force Awakens. Little film that came out in 2015. Pretty sure nobody saw it. Right. Um, there's one guy on the internet that loves this Raylo thing. Don't know what his deal is, but I'm pretty sure I have him on board, and that's all that matters. <laughs> so, John, I gave you this topic. We were going to try to keep it on topic as opposed to last week or last sure. time you were on a few a few months ago. So, I imagine you rewatched The Force Awakens for this, right? Or maybe you've seen it enough times that you actually know the entire movie mentally. I have the whole. I have. I, I know. I know both Force Awakens and The Last Jedi by heart. So that's not even. You know, let's not, let's not let's not even let's not even play. I did watch I, honestly, uh, not because of the show, and and because I do know the movie the the movie so well. I did watch um, a little bit of it uh, uh, yesterday because I'm going to watch Last Jedi tonight. So I just watched the tail end of it yesterday. So just for fun. Of course, you are going to be watching the Last Jedi tonight. <laughs> I love that movie, man. <laughs> oh, so do I. You got. I remember you and I are. We're probably the only two conservative people on the face of this earth that love that movie. Yeah, yeah. No, I. Yeah, don't, don't get me yet. We'll, don't derail me on <laughs> on Last Jedi. Don't 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 do it. If you want to stick to Force Awakens, oh, no, stick no. to Force Awakens. Well, okay. I guess this is my first thing. Uh, last week, or I've been talking about my thesis when I've been looking at like. I think these are the only two Star Wars movies you can look at when trying to gauge Episode Nine. We are, I think, 120 days overdue from when we were supposed to get that title. Yeah. So we, so we really are kind of like in hunger deprivation. Like we are seeing things. Like I know I'm hallucinating things from from no title and no information. But how I've been looking at this is that how I frame it is. I'm only looking at it under the lens of the original trilogy. Because I know you, I, I listened to the episode that came out today from you. I, I, I ran out of time, unfortunately. I started around 1.30. I'm like, uh-oh. And I know you were looking at things like, oh, Anakin appears at the end of Return of the Jedi. And you're like, sure. oh, that makes sense that his Force ghost would be in this. Right. And this is the thing I want to ask you and see if you agree with me. Uh, J.J. Hayes has made it loud and clear that he does not like the prequel trilogy. And I know he's he's walked that back in the last couple of years, being like, no, it's this, it's not my favorite, but I don't really dislike it. And my thesis is he's not going to include a single thing in the prequel trilogy because in his mind, that is that's bad. That's a hashtag raped my childhood. Do you agree with that, that he's going to try to keep that sort of stuff out of episode nine? Or do you feel that he will incorporate like major elements like Hayden Christensen into it? Well, I, I, we can, we can, well, let's dovetail back to Hayden Christensen in a moment, but just to, to answer your question directly, um, I don't see him intentionally leaving anything from the prequels out because of his lack of, of liking them. Let's say that for the sake of argument. So let's say that he doesn't, he legitimately doesn't care for the prequels. I don't see if he's got an element of the story in nine that, it makes it relevant to bring something in from the prequels. I believe that he'll bring something in from the prequels. Um, I don't think I'm kind of with you. I don't think that he's intentionally setting out or had intentionally set out to go and bring anything in from the prequels, but 
I get the feeling there is something that is going to be looming in the background of this film that is going to reach all the way back and make some connection to the prequels in some way, shape, or form. That could be Anakin. Um, that could just be something aesthetic. You know, if they if they're able to, you know, rally a bunch of outer rim, you know, uh, uh, allies to the to the resistance, and we happen to see like some vehicles and things like that of the prequel era. Uh, I could I could see that happening, but I feel like there's going to be something directly relating to the prequels in some way, shape, or form, regardless of of his thoughts on them. All right, because that's because that's how I've been looking at this. Because every I feel he is like ever since he made that comment about like the like the Jar Jar bones in the desert of Jakku. Sure, I'm like this guy hates hates the prequel trilogy, and that's like that's such a weird comment to make. Like I, just, I, I find that such like in poor taste to say like I dislike something, therefore everybody else has to dislike it as well. And and especially that like what was that Vanity? That was Vanity Fair, I think. But that was one of the big like oh god centerfolds of the marketing for Force Awakens. And ever since then, I'm like when he made that comment for Episode Nine, which was God like a year and a half ago now, and he's like oh I'm going to incorporate every angle of the saga back into this. And I've always been like oh like you said there'll be like a pit droid in the background of like a marketplace shot. And I'm like, Oh, now be his version of, Oh, see it's all together. We're tying loose ends. And it's like, does that really count as tying loose ends or, or incorporating everything? Well, like, I would be going back to that Jar Jar comment. Um, you know, and I remember that I remember, I remember when he, when, when that comment was made, um, I, I would toss a bit of a caveat on that. And I, I wonder contextually how that was delivered. You know, I and, and and I'm just I'll pull from my sort of my news talk world and covering politics and you know, I won't make it political, but you know, just the the way that things get framed now depending on agendas and thing like that things like that. And I'm not saying the Vanity Fair had an agenda. I just wonder if that comment was made more in jest and less in like legitimate sort of, you know, sort of sticking it to uh to, to Jar Jar Binks. And and just to throw something in because we're 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 right here, um, I was legitimately surprised in the Force Awakens when the comment was made uh, when Kylo early in the film makes the comment about Snoke wanting to use a clone army. I mean, I was like, oh, that's a direct reference. I mean, I'm I'm surprised without even having any clone elements within the the sequel trilogy. I'm surprised that even got a mention or a nod. But the thing about that, though, is that I swear I saw a quote from J.J. about this. He's one of those ones who has said, oh, I walked out of Star Wars in 1977, and the only thing that mattered to me was that one line of dialogue from Obi-Wan. Of, of Oh, you fought in the, or from Luke, you fought in the Clone Wars? Mm. And that, I see it more as he's tying it into that. Interesting. As okay. opposed to anything. Like, that's why I mean, though, anything that he makes, again, I don't know, this is my own thing. I, I am, I think I've made it loud and clear kind of my disdain for J.J. as a filmmaker. <laughs> but, I, I, but like I said, though, I'm trying to think like him. So I am trying to be like, reconcile all these things and be like, okay, I'm J.J., I'm being brought into... Not okay because another thing too is that like when you look at this movie or episode nine, I mean, I got to stop saying uh, ambiguous terms, is that he was brought in to fix what Colin Trevorrow was starting to screw up, right? Sure. And and that and my big joke is I'm going to say it every single week of every single episode of this podcast until I eventually get Colin Trevorrow's idea for episode nine was Ray getting pregnant from finger touching. 
Like, I still think that is the most bonkers idea. <laughs> and, and, and I'm right. never going to stop until I get that episode nine script that he wrote. I want that. <laughs> and I joked, you could honestly, you could read that in front of the fountain at Lucasfilm and no one would believe you that it's real because of how weird that script is. And I feel like that's how you got to look at this. He's fixing what Colin Madman Trevorrow was trying to do. And I feel because there was a, 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 oh God, a lot of the backstory for The Force Awakens was it did have a troubled production that we just never heard about. Because okay. I know J.W. Rinsler's made the comments about apparently Harrison Ford almost died from his injury. Right. And that is a very, very explosive phrase to use because they always i know even looking at the art of the force awakens book they they reference that incident a couple of times in that and it's always oh no harrison ford was fine he took two weeks off from shooting it was like a mini vacation he came back better than ever and then like jw renzo's like no he almost died it's like ooh, like that definitely kind of like uh puts a like i don't want to say a bad vibe in the air but it definitely kind of taints the experience of i'm making episode seven the film i've been waiting for for 35 years for jj Mm -hmm. So I get the feeling this is almost like a mulligan for him because there was also that element of The Force Awakens during production. If anybody followed the rumors during uh, the late 2013, early spring 2014, that him and Kathleen Kennedy wanted to push the film to May 2016. And it was Bob Iger that told them, no, it has oh. to come out 2015 no matter what. Oh, I had never heard that before. You never heard that before? Oh, no. yeah. That they wanted to push it back a full because that was back when Star Wars was going to be the it was going to be the May thing every year it was May like that, that was right. going to be the thing and Bob Iger basically Iger basically told them very similarly which what happened to Solo was you make this release date or else so they wanted to they wanted to release it May after when it actually came out so they wanted to push it another you know, another six months or whatever past what the past that December date is that what you're saying exactly okay yeah because I know early on that they were like when bought when when they purchased. When they purchased um, Lucasfilm in 2012, I know that like those initial meetings and you watch the documentary, the thought was all along they wanted to get a film out by 2015. So it makes sense that if they wanted to push it into May of 2016 and Iger was like, no way, you can't you can't do that. And I guess in Force Awakens case, it, it worked in the case of Solo and their desire to push it to December and him not letting him. It didn't work out quite as well. Yeah, I, and like I said, the, the solo marketing, I, I still think there's going to be a fantastic book written one day. It could be written a, a day, week, month, year, decade, half a century from now based on the debacle that was solo. I know you've been talking a lot about Alien 3 on my nerd world, John. And there's the fantastic, like, two-hour-long documentary about, like, everything that went wrong yes. during the making of that film. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. I, I want to be the person that makes that in 30 years. <laughs> I want I want to be that person. Um, like I said, eventually when everybody's dead, like at that point, either Bob Iger will be like 30, 40 years now, everybody will be dead. That was important now. And it's like, I want to be the person that makes that. Cause I feel like there's such, I want to be the one that does all of them. I want to do the force awakens one, the rogue one, one solo. Uh, it's funny. Last Jedi's maybe the only star Wars film made so far that hasn't had some like catastrophe happen behind the veil of secrecy of the mystery box. Right. And yet that's the one that carries around the most, the most visual and vocal criticism attached to it. I, that, that to me is really fascinating because Ryan Johnson and we won't we won't spin off the rails here but you know Ryan Johnson did what he wanted to do and Kathleen Kennedy let him do what he wanted to do and I that's why I love that movie so much is that it, it really is written and directed by an individual who creatively had total control and did he put his vision 
in my opinion, 100% up on screen and and did a fantastic job in doing that. But when you do that, you do run the risk of alienating a lot of people when you're making a, a strong, bold and, uh, and you know, sort of dangerous statement, you know, when making a, a Star Wars film. So it's interesting that all the other ones are less controversial, but had so much controversy surrounding making it. Yet the one that's the most controversial didn't have any. And there's an argument to be made there, but we don't have to get into it. Oh, no. Oh, no. And that's, oh, no, you're absolutely right. And part of the reason why uh, with Ryan Johnson is I remember when they announced his secret, his trilogy of whatever movies, we still don't know what they are. And they announced it like in October of 2017. And that was why I was still biting my teeth off, figuring Last Jedi was going to be a mess after my, my dislike for The Force Awakens. And I'm like, why on earth did they, why on earth would you sign him to something like that two months before the movie comes out? That just, that doesn't make sense. You do that after, after the movie's made uh, $200 million opening weekend. That's your victory lap. You announce that. That's show of faith. That's your, you keep the positive vibes going. You keep the momentum. And I couldn't figure out why they did that. And it's starting to make sense now. There's a story, and, this, and not to get into the whole James Gunn Guardians of the Galaxy thing. But before Guardians of the Galaxy came out in the summer of 2014, I had heard stories because it was like everyone was like, like oh, God, on pins and needles. Oh, Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be Marvel's first bomb. And there was a, a podcast I listened to. And the person, I don't want to get into their name right now because they're kind of persona non grata on film Twitter. And they were saying that the reason why James Gunn was able to get his way with Guardians of the Galaxy and keep it as weird as it, as it is was, was that James Gunn knew how to deal with the studio. And the reason was that, and the example this person used was, he was a, I think he wrote the script for the 2002 Scooby-Doo movie, the mm -hmm. one with Freddie Prince Jr. And James... So. Yeah, James Gunn knew how to take notes from the studio. He knew how to incorporate them, reconcile them with his own thought process, and turn it into something good. And that's why, amongst many other reasons, Guardians turned out well and why Disney was so reluctant to lose him. And I think Ryan Johnson's another example of that. I think he's somebody that, A, has his own vision. He gets along with everybody, or at least he gets along with everybody that's in power. I think Carrie Fisher called him an a-hole at one point one of the behind-the-scenes videos. She was joking, though. I mean, I re actually, I just watched that document documentary the other day, and she's when she makes that comment, she she's kidding. Because she follows it up with, he's like the greatest guy ever. If he's got a fly, can't find one. Okay. So she was, yeah. So she was, that was something where again, contextually speaking, she was, she was making a joke. She said that he was harsh and had a, a, a distinct vision, but she clearly followed the, followed that up with a very sort of genuine. I got a lot of respect for that guy. And if he's got any flaws, I don't, I don't know of them. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. And I think that's why Ryan Johnson, because like, again, not to get into the the controversy of the Last Jedi, but I think that's why they're keeping him on board. Is that when, you, especially in Hollywood, when you find someone that's able to sit there, a play ball, is a team player, and then is able to turn something out that they like at the end of the day, the studio anyway. It's the rule of Hollywood is that it's it doesn't matter if your movie flops at the box office as long as you bring it in on time and under budget, you'll work forever. As long as you know how to play their game, and that's always why that's always been my rationale for Ryan Johnson. It doesn't matter how loud the internet screams and kicks and yells about that film, they're never going to get rid of him because they like they, they like how he thinks and how he operates. Yeah, you know it, it, that makes a lot of sense. And just to give sort of a, a, a real world example, in in doing talk radio, you know, I've had to work with a lot of different operations managers and program directors, and I've never had a program director. Uh, or an operations manager or anybody tell me how to do the show that I do. 
Um, you do have those individuals that, you know, want to offer guidance or criticism or there's certain things that they listen for and they'll constantly go to. And I became really, really good at sort of, I'll be honest, manipulating those managers where I would meet with them once a week. I knew which show they focused on when we were going to have the next conversation. I remember the show that I did right before the next time we were going to talk. I made sure that I hit I did the show that was true that I wanted to do. But I hit all the buttons and points that I knew that they were going to bring up. My goal, it was a little game that I played with myself. I basically said, I don't want to give them any reason at all to complain. So I'll hit all the right notes for this one show because I know they're listening. And sure enough, it worked every time. And that would make sense that Ryan Johnson would be the kind of guy that would that that would play ball like that. And they would also, in turn, sort of allow him some creative freedom and license, you know, to 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 execute his vision. Because even in that documentary, there's that really real moment where he's sitting there with Rom, the producer. And if you watched the animatic for the opening of The Last Jedi, the original opening, I mean, it was it was kind of a mess. I mean, it pans down to to Finn in the in the in the in the bubble chamber mm-hmm. and as the opening shot. And, you know, there's a there's that scene of Ryan Johnson sitting there to sort of crisscross applesauce with Rom. And he's like, man, I got to rework that whole opening. None of that's tracking. It looks all over the place. And, you know, Rom makes a comment afterwards in a subsequent part of the interview and says, yeah, I got to be there to help encourage this guy and tell him what he's doing is okay. But Ryan Johnson seems to have a bit of self-awareness to know that even though he's got an idea, he can identify something and go, yeah, that's totally not working. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Like I said, I think that's why uh, he'll, Ryan Johnson, no matter how, again, how loud the internet complains about him, will never be out of work. He's yeah. just people. He knows how to work with people, and that, and like you said, John, that's so rare nowadays, especially in Hollywood with egos. Right. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, yeah. That's, that's just one thing I wanted to point out about that. Well, uh, and we've and, and we've heard Trevorrow has a massive ego, you know, and I mean, on 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 on. <laughs> I mean, that's an understatement, right? Uh, and I th- I think JJ's a lot the same way. I think JJ has his own particular vision of how he wants things done. And I, you've mentioned it, and I know other people have talked about it that it hasn't been widely talked publicly, but that there's tension between him and him and Kathleen Kennedy. And there was tension. And I think you mentioned it just a moment ago. There was tension on that on that Force Awa- on the, on the Force Awakens. Yeah, and I th- again thank you for getting back to that because one of the things everybody forgets and again trying to glean information for episode 9 from the force awakens is that there's the whole thing with michael arndt's script script they commit i remember when they first announced who was going to be writing for the force awakens michael arndt and it's like oh it's the guy who did toy story 3 and little miss sunshine he won an oscar for that well i think he i think he did and they're like isn't that great and then i think it was october i, I wrote may know this somewhere i think it was like the Oh God! Yeah, I think it was October of 2013. I'm sorry. Yeah, October 2013. They threw out his entire script and outline. Right. So and so and because JJ didn't like it, and I think the the excuse they gave was Michael Arndt was focusing too much on the new characters, hmm. and JJ wanted this to be much more about the original characters. And it's like, oh, you look at the Force Awakens, and it's like that's weird because I'd say the new characters have just as much importance, if not more so right. than Han and Leia do in that movie. So how much more, like, what was it? Basically Han Solo would kind of come in for a cameo and then walk out the door right after that. And, and that's always been my big thing is like, so they have an entire episode seven script and yes, they obviously pulled, pulled from that for what we actually have. So, but you have an entire script that's sitting there and this is what ties me now into the, um, 
the Art of the Force Awakens book. And I, I already told John to have his at his uh, disposal right now. Is that this morning, as I was kind of thinking about our discussion today, I'm like, oh, wait, I have this book. Maybe I should look at it and see if there's any information that can help me just process this better. And we all know from the episode nine leaks that apparently there's a jungle planet that Finn, Poe, and Chewbacca go to. And that's apparently where, um, oh my lord, I forget what her name is. Uh, the new actress that's in this. Uh, Naomi that- Aki. Thank you, Naomi Aki. And that's where apparently she's located. And obviously Finn and Poe are there to recruit her for the resistance. And, and depending on some other rumors, Lando might be there. But, but don't take those um, just yet. So I looked at the Force Awakens book, and there's a sizable amount. There's a nice amount of concept art that involves jungles. Mm-hmm. And, not, and not Takodano jungles. We're talking about the same kind of vibe that Jason Ward at making Star Wars is trying to get to. It's like more like a, a rainforest. Right. Type well, of jungle. And, and let me let me add something while we go while we go down this road. So let me give you sort of my thought thoughts on JJ because I because I know you you mentioned him. I like JJ Abrams quite a bit. I've mentioned this on a recent show. Um, for me, he's the kind of filmmaker that makes movies that are um, instantly rewatchable. Like I can watch Mission Impossible three over and over and over again. I loved both of JJ's Star Trek uh, movies, uh, and I also loved The Force Awakens. JJ to me, and I, I'm willing to go down the road of criticizing him as a director. For me, I think it really is just a matter of taste. JJ and these properties, whether it was Star Trek or whether it was Star Wars, I feel like he approached both of these the same way. And he mentioned as much in the documentary and working with Lawrence Kasdan and writing the script, how they just wanted to write a script that delighted everybody. JJ, to me, seems like the kind of director where he just he crafts the story based off of what he thinks is cool. Like, what would be cool to see? And maybe all directors do that, but J.J. really seems to do that. And I dig that about him quite a bit. Uh, And I think that his aesthetic and what he finds pleasing and what he finds cool, I also find cool. So I feel like I sort of gravitate towards his his works for those reasons. Uh, And I also think it's a big reason why The uh, The Force Awakens is the way that it is. I think J.J. in approaching that movie, and he's said as much in a lot of the interviews of, you know, he 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 wanted to make a film that was going to delight, please all the fans. Obviously, there was some sort of sort of overview mandate of bringing back the core aesthetic of the original trilogy to bring the nostalgia back into it. And when he makes the comment, which I don't agree with, by the way, but in the documentary, he makes the comment about um, Takodana and Maz's castle and how if I were a fan and there wasn't a cantina scene, I would be going, where's the cantina scene? I don't agree with that mentality. If I had seen, didn't see any form of cantina scene in The Force Awakens, I wouldn't care. But that, to me, says a lot about J.J. Abrams' insight into how he's looking at a film and also thinking about kind of what the fans would be expecting, which I think is going to lend a lot to our conversation, because I think J.J. is under the impression that there's going to be fans expecting to see some very specific things in episode nine, probably nodding towards Return of the Jedi. I've never heard that quote about the cantina before. And well, that, you and haven't? That, I've never heard that cantina quote before. And it's arguably, it, it just reinforces my notion and as <laughs> it, it validates me to have no idea how much. Like my brain is releasing the endorphins right now. I might not be able to speak properly for a couple seconds. <laughs> well, it's the um, it's the documentary for The Force Awakens. It's I, the um, the 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 uh, the what was it? The uh, Journey to the Force Awakens or something like that. It's like the forty-five I, minute long, hour long one. 
I I don't watch those because I don't think there's anything to be gleaned from. Like, okay, oh. I, obviously, obviously, I'm wrong. Clearly, I'm wrong. But I do not watch this because I think it's fluff, and I don't think there's anything for me to learn in those. But yes, I should. You're right. I should have for context. I should have watched. I should have watched that. Yeah. Well, you got it. Then let me. Okay. So since you haven't seen it, I was thinking you had just just real quick. Let me sort of since we don't have access to the audio, he's he's sitting there next to Lawrence Kasdan, and they're talking about the Maz Kanata's cancel, ca- uh, castle. And he goes, he goes, yeah, you know, we, we wanted to have something that was a nod to the cantina scene. Cause you know, if I'm a fan and I'm watching this movie, I'd be like, why didn't they do the cantina scene? Where is that at? So we changed, <sighs> we changed it up a little bit. We made it a little bit different. We created this place, but that's real. And I, I remember watching that going, dude, I, I don't know any fan that would have been going why is there no new cantina scene? In this, this, this is why we can't have nice things. This is, and this is the problem with Hollywood. This is why we're getting like remakes of remakes. It's just, this is why we're getting another Hellboy movie that we don't need. Oh my God. You, I, you, oh man. I, you know, I'm taking my notes. I'm throwing them out the window in, fr- in, in both celebration and frustration. On the one hand, I think cynically you could go, oh, they're just trying to do the cantina again. But on the other hand, it's Star Wars. And if you don't have a version of that, I would leave feeling like, well, where was that? <laughs> how could they not do the cantina? So it's how do we do the cantina but not do the cantina? Kids, would you step outside for a second? <gasps> Dear Lord, that's the loudest profanity I've ever heard. Oh, hold on, hold oh, hold on. So let's, okay, so I, I totally get it. I totally understand why you feel so, that way. So, so that, John, wh- where are we getting Star Killer Base Two in this? That, where are we going to call it? Is that, there going to be a shot where they fly into the middle of it this time <laughs> instead of a trench run this time? Star Killer Base Two. Here's the thing, though. If JJ had, if I had never seen that interview with him and him say that, I would not have made like a direct one-to-one con- comparison. Like Maz Kanata's, ca- I wouldn't have looked at the at the the scene in Maz Kanata's castle when when Finn, Han, and Ray arrive there. I wouldn't have looked at that as being a knockoff, right? Because you have the bar scene in Attack of the Clones. There's, you know, there's stuff as jo- as George says, you know, it's poetry, it rhymes. That stuff rhymes. And Maz Kanata's castle didn't seem like it a direct lift of the cantina scene. But then again, I do understand how, why you feel the way that you do because the whole reason for him putting there, putting it in there, I don't agree with. If he only did it because he thought the fans wanted to see it, so. All right, last. one. I made the comment saying I like to imagine JJ is Anakin at the end of Revenge of the Sith after he's wiped out the Jedi Temple, killed all the Separatist leaders. He's looking at the son of Mustafar as he has one tear roll down his cheek, realizing what he's done is wrong, but he has to do it based on his corporate overlords. And now I know that that is not true at all. Not true at all. He is enjoying. He is he is wiping out Newt Gunray and the little Padawans, and he's enjoying every single moment of it. Oh my God! You know what, folks? This conversation—you know what—even more pessimism. Than I, I didn't even think I could be that more pessimistic. All right, now because we're getting into me being cynical territory, I have some ideas. Putting on my J.J. Abrams cap, Jungle I, Planet. Yes, Jungle. <laughs> yes, Jungle Planet. That's that's gonna happen because it's Return of the Jedi. Instead of it being the uh, the the forest of Northern California, it's gonna be wherever they decide to film that. I forget. One of the things I want to talk about, and I, I I wrote down four pages of notes for this, and I never write down notes. Is John, what is the major reveal of Return of the Jedi? Of Return of the Jedi? Yes. Uh, what is the major reveal of that film? Well, 
There's one big one. There's one big one. It's, okay. it's about the it's about the Skywalkers. What this what confirmation that or the or the sister that yes. that okay right that that, that is her sister okay Brother I didn't know sister. if it, I didn't know if you were leaning towards the the actual confirmation of of Vader being the of being his oh, dad but yes oh okay excuse me excuse me yes um yes obviously brother sister right so with that being said and we all know uh, if I can I can imagine the J J Abrams quote right now in my head well if people are going into the final chapter of Star Wars they're going to be hoping that. Ray and and, and uh, Kylo Ren are brother sister. Thought I know you're you're Raylo. I I do not I I do not I'm I'm indifferent to Raylo. If it happened, great. I would love romance. It'd be nice to actually have romance in a Star Wars film. <laughs> but at the same time, I I joked last week about the fact that market research won't let them have that because that might uh, disenfranchise certain members of the audience. With that being said, could you imagine JJ pulling the the brother sister card out of his hat? No, only because there's a only because in Return of the Jedi it was there was justification for that, right? I mean, there there was there was there was a rationale going into Return of the Jedi based off of what had happened in The Empire Strikes Back that led to Leia also being Luke's sister and I I don't that would be more of sort of a revelation than it would be anything that was while the Leia was a revelation it was directly tied to obviously Vader being Luke's father, I don't see any through lines to 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 let that happen. And I also just don't see how that based off of everything that's happened in the film so far, how that conceivably could they could justify that. I mean, you'd have to do some major mental gymnastics based off of all the different scenes of what happened in The Force Awakens with Leia's interaction with with Ray. And the comments that she made and Han's interaction and him wanting to send her off on a on a pod at the beginning of the film, like none of that jive. So I don't I don't think that JJ is going to do that. And I want to say for the record too, my not allegiance, but my being uh, with my fingers, Raylo, it really <laughs> is just it really is just from the standpoint of I don't necessarily tie that directly into romance. I just mean from the standpoint of these two characters are 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 directly yin and yang to one another. And it's the core of these films. And the resolving of nine is going to involve these two individuals directly hashing something out in some way, shape, or form. So if it ends up being somewhat romantic, I'm totally cool with that. But if it's not, my headcanon isn't such where I'm going to be all ticked off and, you know, burning the theater down just because they <laughs> didn't have any kind of romance. Yeah, I guess I guess we should point out that, like, even, like, I know at this point, well, technically the podcast description for uh, Knights of Vader is NPR crossed with Coast to Coast AM, and there's a lot of speculation on here. And for the record, folks, if I don't care if they do anything I want or if they don't. I, I am, all I want from a movie is for it to be good. I don't care right. if it follows what I planned out. I just, every totally single time, agree. it just be a good movie. I don't care what you do. Just get me from point A to point B and make me satisfied. But um, back to the brother-sister thing. It, I told everybody to get their Art of Force Awakens books ready. John, I'd like to draw your attention to page 23 All of right. the Art of the Force Awakens book. All right, I'm going to page... 23. Oh, there's an awesome shot of Ray with a lightsaber slicing up Star Destroyers. I love that shot. If, if they do that, I will get up and applaud in my seat. That's, that's not the page we're talking about. But if I, I, know, happen, I know, I know, I know. I will oh, get I up and the, applaud. I know the page you're talking about. I see what it is you're... And, and, I want, and I'm going to describe it for everybody at home. It is. It's. It says in the description that it's, it's Finn, aka what his original working name was Sam, but it's essentially Jason and Jaina Solo. That's what it is. Right. Right. And if, if you look at what Kylo Ren is, Kylo Ren is Darth Cadis. That's what he is. He's the fallen 
spawn of Leia and Han that turns to the dark side. And I don't know if that was, I, mean, I can't imagine JJ has read a single EU book in his entire life. Like I would imagine he probably, like if there was a kid in his high school that read those books, he probably gave them swirlies. But with that being said, and considering how all these EU ideas like seem to kind of like trickle their way into the sequel trilogy and, and more abstract themes, not directly. Um, just I, I am presenting that image without further comment. Okay. Just and, and the only thing I want to point out to you, if you go to page 27, uh, and this has nothing to do with Return of the Jedi or Episode 9, for some reason, the EU character Darth Talon is in the book. I cannot for the life of me figure out why. Okay, all right. So I have some explanations here for you. All right, you ready? Enlighten okay. me, sir. All right, let's go back to page 23. And we, the, the, uh, the Kira, the Kira, Ray, and Sam, Finn, McCabe uh, piece of art with the two characters, okay? Um, it's the, it's the, the, the line right above it that sticks out to me. Um, screenwriter Michael Arndt would later describe these early versions of Episode 7's young heroes, Kira and Sam, the loner, hothead, gearhead, badass, and pure charisma, respectively. I think these were leftovers that got changed from Arden's script. Going back to the Journey to the Force Awakens documentary that I mentioned earlier, which you need to go watch now. I mean, I don't, you know, you'll pull your hair out, but you need to watch it anyway. Um, <laughs> in, in that documentary, they, direct, they show Arndt and they talk about Arndt. And the way Kathleen Kennedy describes it is he wasn't moving fast enough. And that he said he needed like a year and a half or two years to write the screenplay. And she says in the documentary, we thought he could get it done faster. And it was clear after a short period of time that he was not going to get it done faster. And that's when they went and brought on J.J. and Lawrence Kasdan. I think that they ended up. And then you get Lawrence Kasdan talking about, and I know the, the, the concept art's in here, but then you get Lawrence Kasdan talking about drawing the hero from the ranks of the, uh, of, the, of the First Order troopers. He talks about this in the documentary. That, to me, tells me that they took Arndt's script probably much in the same way they took Trevorrow's script and maybe cherry-picked a few items, but I think they started from, from scratch. Yeah, I, I agree with that, because if you look at this Art of Force Awakens book, they very... Oh god, they don't say it explicitly, but it's kind of hinted at if you know how to read between the lines. That it's like, oh, uh, the production didn't know what to do for a couple of months because they kind of just sat there and figured, well, do we make things that we were? Because I guess we should explain the filmmaking process. Is that like they were getting bits and pieces from Arndt's script and building it at a kind of like a piecemeal? It's like, oh, there's this scene, so we'll build this set. Then it's like, oh, then maybe like a month later there'd be something else. Oh, we'll build this. And then for about two months, I think there was a period between. Again, October to the end of December is when, because JJ basically wrote the script they're claiming him and Lawrence Kasdan in about two, three months. Right, right. And so that was the kind of thing where it's like, okay, the production, the people who had to build the sets were kind of sitting there twiddling their thumbs, being like, well, what do we do? Like, we, we can't be building things if you're going to throw them out the window, because then obviously we're throwing away millions of dollars. But then at the same time, though, we, like you said, they can't be sitting there kind of sitting on their hands, being like, okay, where's that green light? I don't know, but it, it's just I wanted to point out that image because mm -hmm. ever since we got that first uh, God, ever since they cast Daisy Ridley I'm like, oh, she's clearly uh, being cast because of her resemblance to Natalie Portman and I'm like, there you go you, you have your built-in through line of the lineage I don't know how they'll do it, I, I had this theory back before The Last Jedi came out that um, one of Kylo's main what do you want to call it, Sith powers force powers, is his ability to ac access memories 
And we've never seen that before in Star Wars. And I was convinced that, oh, if he has the ability, if one of his key powers is accessing memories, clearly he's looking for something that everybody forgot. And what better way to do that than Luke Skywalker, when his Jedi Temple got burned down, had everybody did something to make people forget something very important. And this goes into my next point, and I know John's going to know the scene I'm talking about, that numerous times in this film, it's highlighted who Rey is. Like, uh, when Kylo Ren is informed that the droid is, uh, BB-8 escaped Jakku, and he had, like, uh, the, the, off, the First Order officer tells him, sir, we lost the droid, it, uh, it stole a freighter with FN-2187, he has his little temper tantrum, he swings the lightsaber, and then he's, he's like, and he calms down for the most part, he's t- he disengages the lightsaber, and he's like, anything else? He's like, well, there was this girl, and he and he basically has a freakout moment because right. you think prior to that, he's just he's taking out his frustration on the console, not not the officer, which is very, oh god, as we know, Vader took out his frustrations on the officers, right, right, and and obviously the fact that we get that scene and it hard cuts right after it, you have to think that is a seating moment. I think it is a potential seating moment. So I'll take the role um, real quick back to Darth Talon. Uh, Cause I'm looking okay. at that. I'm, I'm looking <laughs> real quick. I forgot. Cause what, I'm looking at the photo. Right what now. you're saying is Ray is Darth Talon. Okay, no, great. No, Moving no, on. No, no. Going back to the Darth Talon thing real quick to put a bow on that. The, in the book, and I know you've looked at the book. You, we both have it in front of us. You know, they did all, all this previs before they even got a script. And basically, um, who was the dude again? The guy in charge of it? Uh, Rick Carter. Rick Carter, and again, the documentary, which you haven't seen, lays this out specifically. The moment that Disney bought Lucasfilm and they knew they were going to make a movie, Rick Carter got all the artists together and told them, just start creating art. And basically just pointed them in random directions without even having a script. So that's what this... There's so The first part of this book is filled with that stuff. It's stuff that wasn't even... It was basically it was basically directionless art you know hey let's give stuff and they say it in the documentary they talk about how they basically handed jj all this art and jj started building the script based off of it case in point there's the 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 photo of the type the crash tie fighter on jakku they hadn't (laughs) written that scene somebody made that piece of art randomly jj grabbed it and went "Ooh, i like that and then went and built the scene in the movie and the same thing happened with Phasma. Phasma was supposed to yes. be Kylo Ren. I think you know that story. Phasma was supposed to be Kylo Ren. They said, nope, they don't want to make him look like a First Order trooper. Kathleen Kennedy saw it, said it looked awesome, so J.J. included her in the movie. So, anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, no, fair, fair enough. No, but okay. I, I find that fascinating, considering that the culture we live in is Star Wars fans. Um, and this also leads my my idea that you have people making decisions that aren't fans because I think I'm surprised Mike Zero hasn't made a video already saying Darth Talons in Episode Nine. Oh. Like I figured, like like that's more. There's more authenticity to that claim than anything he's done in like his 800 YouTube videos. And there'd actually be some basis to it because it actually is tied to something factual. But no, I I just find that fascinating that that's not like a, a clickbait headline that like during right. a slow news day we haven't gotten through. I I saw that picture there and I started laughing. I'm like, of course, Darth Talon's in this. Why wouldn't she be? <laughs> right. Um, All right. So so back to what you were saying about the uh, the the the, uh, the the what girl the placement in the movie and the relevancy of it. I'm gonna take a real pragmatic a pragmatic sort of angle on this. I think that was the that was the example of, hey, this is dramatic and cool. Let's do this. If we want to play with it later, we can play with it later. I think that when they set when they set out to make this this trilogy, 
there's a very loose outline, you know, sort of <laughs> beginning, middle and end. Um, I think that involves this quasi reverse prequel Anakin situation where we start off with Kylo Ren being bad and we move towards him being good. Um, some type of redemption, which either results in him sacrificing himself or, you know, um, saving the day and going off on Tatooine to be a moisture farmer um, <laughs> to, pay, to pay for his crimes. OK, uh, and I, I believe that there's a loose arc. J.J. made that movie, put some things in there that are pretty cool that moment. And we all kind of dance with it and we play with it. And oh my gosh, why did he do that when it says that girl and then cuts to Ray, like you just said? I think it's more pragmatic. It made for a nice dramatic moment in the film. And if they wanted to go and mess with it later, they could mess with it later. I'm not saying it's not a seed. I just say it's a seed and they're leaving it there to decide if they want to water it later on. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I guess I, for the art, I'm saying, yes, I agree with you 100%. I'm not saying, guys, again, I'm not doing the mic zero. Guys, I have sure, the sure, evidence. Sure. Um, yeah, everything I'm saying here is just conjecture and speculation, like on a, a oh my lord, built on a dumpster of like marsh in this where it can collapse at any moment. But if I do get it right, I can claim I was there all along. <laughs> right. Um, that's, a, that's a brilliance, folks. You got, you got to do both things at once. But no, because there are a couple other moments in that. Like, there's the one scene in the cantina with Maz where she gets up to go follow Finn when he says, like, I can't do this anymore. Right. And Maz turns around to Han and goes, who's the girl? Cut the black again. And it's like, okay, clearly they're trying to keep this in the dark. Because they could very easily have a scene with Han saying, I, fa I, 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 I found her in the Falcon. And that's it. They could, they could have done that. that. That's an easy, you film that in two takes doesn't require much effort and and not to make you repeat yourself, but I do think there are, there is a couple of moments in there because like you said, with, with JJ, JJ is looking at this as in checklist filmmaking. People will be expecting Ray to tie in somehow. And I don't think she's going to be again, the, Oh God, uh, I don't know. Like, this is the part where I have to think between my practical side and my cynical side. And that's really hard to do sometimes when it comes to thinking of these movies. Another piece of artwork, and I think this is one of the more smoking guns, is that it's on page 207, where it's a, a shot of Luke's smoldering Jedi temple. And if you look at it, it's an image, it's smoldering, and we see the silhouette of what looks like a young female in front okay. of it. Okay. And I'm looking at that going, wouldn't it be something that Kylo Ren, I think I, again, I, I made this as an episode, like a guy, like a year and a half ago before Last Jedi, saying what would happen if Ray, like this entire time Kylo or Ben Solo is being fed the narrative by Luke, uh, by his family, that he's the heir of the Skywalker legacy. And then out of nowhere, Luke comes across this little girl named Whoever, I remember originally her name was Kira for the longest time. That's what everybody right. assumed that Ray's name was. And let's say that he comes across Kira and Kylo Ren gets jealous that he's no longer the, the prodigal son. Or he's just, he's not this heir to the force. And so out of frustration, on top of the thing that Luke almost trying to kill him, I, again, I don't know how that'll tie in. Again, I'm, I'm speculating out loud, or I'm sorry, thinking out loud. It's that what would happen that Kylo Ren gets jealous of her and somehow she's able to survive through Luke's thing. Like Luke in the, cause I think we're gonna have another flashback to Luke's Jedi temple. That's where he's been th three times, two times. Now we've been flashed back to that moment. And the third time is she somehow survived this and Luke has to hide her on Jakku, much like what happened to him. As we all know, it's poetry. It rhymes. And Ray was marooned there. I don't know. Maybe it was her family. Maybe it wasn't. I, I don't know. But I'm getting the vibe that maybe we're going to learn 
Ray's lineage, and not to say that she's a Kenobi or a Skywalker or a Solo, but she was marooned on Jakku very similarly to Luke was on Tatooine. Right, I could see that. I, I, I don't, I can't, I don't know how they just to sort of put my own period opinion on the, on the um, them being um, uh, brother sister. Uh, I just don't see how again how they can rectify. All the different circumstances that happened in the... Can I interrupt you for a second? Sure, go ahead. Well, I say brother and sister. I guess I should clarify. Maybe not in the sense of, again, Jaina, Jason, but think of it almost like the Mortis trilogy, brother and sister. Okay, okay, yeah. not More spiritual abstract, brother and sister. Right, okay, okay. Not blood-related, gotcha. Yeah, because I don't know how they pull that off. I don't don't see any way. I don't know the, the, the gymnastics they'd have to do to... To justify all, all all the different things that happened to Ray, like Han and Leia would have to be not only shipping their son off to go train with Luke, but at the same time also abandoning their daughter on it. You know, and I just anyway. Okay, so to what you were saying, I think I like the I like I like where you're headed with your idea, and I think there's there's a lot of merit to it because I think that. Looking at it, and we'll we'll spin this way and then get back to sort of what because I think there are some direct things that we can learn from the from the Force Awakens that will lead into episode nine, especially with JJ directing. But I think for the future of the franchise, it makes a heck of a lot more sense to end the Skywalker line and that Ray was supposed to be and is the Luke character in as much of she's the new through line for future films later on, even though she has no direct has no direct connection to Skywalkers. Does that make sense? You oh, follow, uh, well, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, I oh no, I follow you. Okay. But it's the idea of thinking, okay, practically versus being cynical. Like right. somebody, I, I, again, when Force Awakens came out, and you remember the, the mystery box was in full force. Nobody, nobody outside of making Star Wars, nobody really had any sort of information on that film. And I remember when they first, like, kind of had their first detailed plot outline of the film. A lot of people dismissed it out of hand because it's like, oh, it's just, it's just a re, it's just regurgitating the themes of the original trilogy. And a lot of people discounted it. And then come December 2015, it was like, oh, wait, the reason why we got the mystery box and the reason why they kept so much hidden was they didn't want people knowing that's what they were doing. Like, it made sense. Like, again, it's, I've called it the Beatles reunion phenomenon. It makes sense that, like, oh, if you're able to get back all these key players, you don't expect them to be playing new music. Like, let's, again, I think I said it last week, if you're able to get George Harrison, John Lennon back somehow through magic or witchcraft, you wouldn't want them to play new music. You would want to hear Sergeant Peppers. Right. And I get and I get it. Like again, getting Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, and Harrison Ford for episode seven is that equivalent when it comes to movies. But going back to your point though, is it's again, it's practically speaking, I can understand it. But that is a really at the same time, there's something cynical about it that it's like, are they really good to just be that black and white about it? Or I don't know. Like that, you, enlighten me, John. You have more of a history with this than I do. Well, I, I just, I, you know, you go, you go back to Last Jedi and what, you know, and, and let's 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 go under the assumption that everybody signed off on what Ryan Johnson did with the story, right? Okay, they all, yes, yes, we're all good with you doing with you doing what you want to do with the story. The Last Jedi really kind of opened everything up. I mean, they mm-hmm. really did. They took this this storyline and this idea of a prophecy and the chosen one. And to me, the big purpose of the Last Jedi was to, all right, we're going to, we're going to, we're, we're going to, we're going to expand this a little bit, and we're going to start to open up everybody's mind to the idea that 
this is kind of an ongoing deal, right? And the fact that Snoke says something to the, it says, you know, darkness rises in the light to meet it, right? He mm-hmm. expected it to be Skywalker. It ended up being Ray. That to me, from a larger standpoint of the force and the way that the, the balance works in dark and light means that, you know what, anytime that happens, this is going to happen. Anytime, darkness rises the force is going to respond it's almost like and i hate to use the example and i've used it on my show but it's relevant it's almost like what happened in the matrix right where we Mm -hmm. find out neo was not the one there were many ones before him he just happened to be the one to actually go and kind of figure it out you know regardless of if you like those films or not that's what ends up happening you know there was multiple ones and the other ones kept choosing differently and so i think that's where disney and lucasfilm well, well lucasfilm and where the story group wants to go. I think for the future of the franchise, they want to be able to retell this similar story of darkness and light fighting each other over and over and over again, long past when you and I are dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's why, yeah. that's why I think that, yeah, we're stopping the Skywalker lineage. We're stopping the Skywalker storyline that could end with Ben Solo still being alive, but again, in forced exile. But I think more importantly, that means that, okay, For this moment in time, at the end of Episode Nine, the galaxy, much like it was the way we left in Return of the Jedi, is at peace, and the Skywalker part of this whole thing is done. The only thing about those that it's the I think we're going to be able to learn. There might be another episode of Knights of Vader called "What We Can Learn About Episode Nine from Avengers Endgame." Because I do think no, no, wait, wait, I'm I'm being serious. I think that's going to be the besides the marketing. Because I, I know we've talked numerous times about the trailer for episode nine, and considering that Avengers Endgame title didn't come, like if you remember when that trailer was first released, the title wasn't in the the the, the name of the movie was not in the title of the video. They did not reveal a title until you got to the very end of that trailer. Right. And I think that's what they're going to do for episode nine, because clearly Marvel's a template. Everybody's it's lemmings in Hollywood. We're all going to fall over the cliff. To, Following Marvel's lead, except they're the uh, they're the roadrunner. Every other movie franchise is wildy coyotes. They go over the cliff, and I think what's going to happen is that Avengers Endgame is going to be the ending of the like, much how like you just said with, with the Skywalker saga. It's going to be the ending of the the trini- trinity of the MCU: Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man. And whether that means they die. One of them dies, or they all go and do what they did at the end of Furious 7 with Paul Walker, and they drive into a different, like, shoulder (laughs) of the road. Um, It's anyone's (laughs) guess. And I wouldn't be surprised that, considering that Marvel is so successful, J.J., considering his clout in Hollywood, was allowed to see that script and kind of glean something from it. Being like, okay, and again, it is Disney. Disney wants everything following a model. Nothing can be its own thing. Even even something like The Last Jedi, I think The Last Jedi kind of deceives us into thinking, like, think about it, they approved that all along. Everybody had to sign off on that. Disney is committee after committee of, of just, okay, cro- get someone's signature, oh, next committee, and it's just that never-ending process. So I wouldn't be surprised if they gave J.J. access to the Russo Brothers script back at the end of, or whenever the Russo Brothers finished their script for uh, Endgame and would have been like, okay, this is the type of model we want you to... Because think about it. They're making uh, Star Wars movies long after J.J. is dead on top of us. Oh, sure. And so, and they're going to be making Avengers movies long after the Russos are long gone. If we end up, just as a... Because you brought it up and it sparked something in my mind and I don't know if you got to this part in in, in my show today, but I really hope that we do not get a trailer along the lines of what we got for um, for Endgame, like I get it, 
I know why that trailer is so sparse and doesn't show anything because everybody and their mother uh, are going to go and see Endgame based off of what happened in Infinity War. I understand that, but holy cow, if we get a if we get an episode nine trailer, I'll be happy that we got footage, but I will be disappointed if it's as sparse in terms of giving us something to chew on as that Endgame one because I was honestly disappointed. I was like, all right, I know I'm going to go see this movie, but man, you could have given me a little something, something other than a bunch of people just walking around looking mopey. <laughs> that's all well, the that, trailer was. That's uh, uh, magic eight ball says outlook. Not so good. Well, I, I just, I hope it's better. I didn't like the first last Jedi teaser trailer that aired. I thought that first one with Ray breathing at the beginning, like yeah. I liked the visuals that we saw. I just thought it was super thin. I thought it was as thin as the November one that we got in 2014 for the force awakens, which we were all fine with because we hadn't had a movie in 10 years. But that first Last Jedi trailer, that teaser that aired a celebration, I remember finishing that going, okay, I'm going to see this movie and follow it, but holy cow, that trailer did nothing for me. Now, the, the one at Celebration 2015 for The Force Awakens with Chewie We're Home, that was fantastic. So if we, oh, get, some, if, if we get something along those lines, I'm pleased as punch. Oh, definitely. I, I, like, I've always followed uh, marketing like that. Like, that's why I have my degree, and so I, I know how to appreciate these Oh, I didn't know things. that's cool. Yeah, oh no, like I, I am like I've I've always had my ear to the ground with movie stuff. I really like I said, not to toot my own horn. I know Zenger makes fun of me for this. But um no, like I I know I know what clicks. Like I, I have this weird bizarro superpower that I know how people think in the sense of when they make decisions like this. Like I can't predict what the powerball is gonna be, but like I know I know what makes these people tick, and it's both a blessing and a curse. It's like like you said with JJ, it's like, oh god, I don't want to do that. Or please don't. But no, going back to that 2015 celebration for the f- trailer for The Force Awakens, um, I would definitively say that's probably one of the best cut trailers of all time. Because that trailer does exact for, oh God, what that came out? Yeah, April 2015. Yep. That did exactly what it was supposed to do. It was both a tease and it had substance to it. And it had both the old and new married and perfect. And you have the, the Return of the Jedi quote from, from Luke, yep. but the Force is strong in my family. And you have all that, the music swells, you have all the, you're letting Star, you're letting the iconography of Star Wars do the heavy lifting. You have the moment with Kylo Ren, the lightsaber, or, um, he, he turns around, he holds the lightsaber, he does the, at that time, we didn't know he was freezing a, a laser bolt. You have the phasma, you have the ships flying toward that, and Actually, you don't even need the Chewie were home moment at the end. That trailer works a hundred percent as it is, but it's the it's the cherry on top with the Ch- Chewie were home, and that's just that is a mind blowing trailer. I don't think yeah. they've ever when it comes to Star Wars movies. I'm only talking about the Disney era now. I'm not talking about the prequels or the original trilogy. That like you, they've never been able to top that. Not even not even close. I remember that second Force Awakens trailer. I think it's the intro to my nerd world. It's. Or I'm sorry, not the second trailer. I mean, I mean that theatrical or the last major trailer. The 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 uh, the um the football, the Monday Night Football one that aired in October of that year. Yes, yes. I always call that the the I, I call the one from 2014 kind of just I don't even know what to call that. It's kind of, I was kind of like the the fir- or the early access or first look. Right. And it was the teaser, and then it's the theat. Theatrical is always usually the last one. That's how I refer to it. But yes, the the Monday Night Football one. I found that one flat. I'm like compared to the the celebration. I'm like, how do you top that? Like that is just play that again. I don't need anything else. Like, not even me. Like trying to sell an audience on it. You don't need anything more. 
And and that's my thing with the going back to bring it to episode nine is that I think that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to show us the almost something identical to the shareholders footage. I think it's going to be it's going to be what we've kind of surmised. It's going to be the Kylo Ren helmet pieced together with red crazy glue. It's going to be the 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 Luke Anakin Ray lightsaber pieced together with crazy glue, and. It's going to be a lot of that. It's going to be the shot. I think you even talked about it, like with them on the in the cockpit on the Millennium Falcon. It's right, very right. reminiscent of the Imperial shuttle from Jedi. I guarantee it's, there's going to be some there's going to be some allusion to some massive space battle, even if it's just a quick shot. Yeah. They're going to show something that's going to allude to some massive massive space battle. Um, maybe I'm going to put that as a maybe because All if right. you remember at the at the first trailer for the Last Jedi, they showed the the attack on the dreadnought. And a lot of people surmise that was going to be the end battle. Right. Remember that they have like that first shot. And it's like all the oh. tie fighters flying past the resistance bombers. It's like, it's like a fraction of a second shot. It's barely I there. I remember how I remember that knowing the little bit of information that I knew about the last Jedi and the set pieces. I remember I had the hardest time trying to reconcile how Ray was going to get to crate at the end of the last Jedi. <laughs> I was like, how in the world? Cause we knew that based <laughs> off of some of the toy leaks. Right. Uh-huh, I'm like, yep. I know that I'm like, wait, 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 she's supposed to, cause the assumption was that the battle with Kylo that we see is going to be taking place. Like right at the end of the film, I had no idea it'd be placed right in the middle of the film. So yeah. I remember just going, how in the Sam hell is she supposed to get to that? It was, yeah. I thought aside just just real quick. I thought the last Jedi full trailer was really really good. And what's fun about that, if you haven't done it in a while, go back and watch that full trailer for the Last Jedi in retrospect. They gave away like I remember we all speculated, right? The the handout. I need someone you know to show me my place in all this and join me and and all that. We all and we know that was pieced together. But the reality is they actually gave a lot away. <laughs> <laughs> what was going to happen in the movie in that trailer. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like they, were, they, they broadcasted, hey, everybody, this is coming. You may not believe it, but it's coming. So, I'm well, gonna... that's it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember when that we obviously, like any other Star Wars podcast, we covered that. And I remember for the longest time, the title of the episode was The Last Jedi Trailer Number Two. And then, parenthetical, it said the most misleading trailer in the history of movies. <laughs> and then, when the movie came out, I remember like everybody's complaining about, like, oh, like this is exact. this wasn't what I expected. And you, like you said, you go back and watch that, those trailers on top of the narrative that surrounded that film of expect yeah. the unexpected. Yeah. They were shockingly straightforward with that. They movie. told you. They told you <laughs> like that was like, is he really reaching his hand to Ray? No, that can't. No. Uh, yeah. That was, that cracked me up. Let me, yeah. let, let, let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Um, and I do want to, and I, and I know you do and I do too. I do want to bring it back to the, the original topic at hand because um, I do think, especially because of the last Jedi, that there's a lot we can glean from the force awakens of what JJ is going to do. But let me ask you something um, since you have the marketing degree, right? Is that what you said? You had the marketing yes, degree. Yes. Okay. Why in the Sam hell are they doing the marketing the way they are right now? I don't understand this. I, I, I don't understand why we don't. I mean, I, I guess the conventional wisdom is they're really trying to starve the fan base. But right now, at this moment in time, it, it doesn't feel like there's a Star Wars movie coming out in December. I don't have that. Just uh, because I don't, have, I, I don't have anything official to, to go off of apart from leaks. So I don't, as, a fa- as the Uber fan, I don't, I don't have. I mean, I'm excited for the movie, but I've got nothing. Why are they doing this, in your, in your opinion? Uh, short answer, 
Marvel's doing it. Long answer. They have so many tent poles and they're afraid of distracting attention from each one of them. This was back years ago. Like I would, because I'm not sure if you follow it. Do you know Jim Hill, the Disney um, Disney person? He uh, he has a guy at this point. I think he has like three or four different shows on his podcast network. But the thing about Disney is that Disney has so they are exclusively in the blockbuster business. They are no longer making the secret life of like Timothy Oliphant with like sure. throwing like leaves out of his butt. Right. They're no longer in that business. <laughs> they are making tent pole after tent pole, and the problem is that in what Solo taught us. There's only so much money to go around. And that's never mind with other competitors in, in, in the theater space. So the thing is, it's like how we talked about with um, Captain Marvel. I think on Twitter, you and I were talking. You're like, oh, we're getting the trailer this week. And I'm like, nope, Captain Marvel's coming out this week. No way they're going to take away from Captain Feminism. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's what they're, they're not. That's why I mean, I've said on the podcast before. But this is a great moment to flesh out my thought process. Is that you have people making these decisions that aren't Star Wars fans. I'm neither condoning nor condemning it. What I mean by that is, I and I think I've said it before on here. I had a friend in college, hated movies, hated movies, and she eventually ended up a job at Sony, and she's been there for the last five years. And this is somebody who hates movies. And she's making decisions about movies. And I'm not saying that she can't make credible decisions. I'm not saying that at all. It's just the idea that they don't care about you and I. And I'm not saying that in a way that, like, uh, uh, not my Luke Skywalker. Sure. I'm not saying that at all. They are making these decisions based on the people who think about Star Wars twice a year. When they go to buy, when they see the commercial on TV and say, oh, it's coming out this mm. Friday. Can't wait to see it. Then the mm. person that, that, that the moment the movie ends, and I know, John, you've seen this probably more than once. Immediately the moment the movie ends, pulls their phone out and writes, hashtag Star Wars Episode Nine, greatest film ever. Ray is Yas Queen. And, and that's all they think about. <laughs> it. And that's it. They do not. And they don't think about it until the next time. And that's what it is. And those are the people they're catering towards. They don't need to cater to us. We are taking our own money and promoting a corporate yeah. brand. And I know that's a very cynical thing to say. And I'm allowed to say I have Star Wars ships above my head that are threatening to bludgeon me in my sleep. I'm, I, I, I have the right to sit there and be this cynical about this. And I know, John, you recently bought a TIE fighter. You too should strap that to your ceiling <laughs> so when you're working on the podcast, you too will live in fear of being bludgeoned to death by the thing you love in life. Dude, that TIE fighter is awesome, by the way. Can I just tell you? Oh the, yeah, the, the detail on that thing is insane. I couldn't. I was a little kid yesterday opening that sucker up. I was like, "This is awesome!" <laughs> oh yeah, Star. Oh yeah, like I said, Hasbro's another bag of worms. But uh, right. no, no, the, the vintage stuff is cool. Like I said, those people who dropped five hundred dollars on, on a sale, on a sale, sale march, <laughs> God bless them. Like it's it's cool. Like I've been. I remember. Like I was real. Like I used to be a huge action figure collector, and I was on like the toy forums. And every single time Hasbro made a dumb decision in the last. Oh God, like five to eight, five to eight years. Every single response used to be, they're giving us this crap and not giving us Java sale bars that we've been waiting for since 1983. And yeah. now we, now we can't make that snide remark anymore. No. So I'm a little disappointed. You know what? You, you make a lot of sense. You're and I, and I, and I agree with you. You're, you're, you're right. One of the, one of my favorite directors, even though he doesn't, even though he makes films that I like a lot, but I don't love as a person. I, he's one of my favorite directors. Does that make sense? It's Christopher yeah. McQuarrie. If you've listened to any of the interviews with Christopher McQuarrie around the, around the Mission Impossible movies that he's made, the dude's uber smart. And I love the way that he goes about crafting stories and his approach that he took to the Mission Impossible movies and his rationale for doing another one. Um, but there was a great interview that was done with him when Fallout came out, and he talked about how he didn't want to do Fallout. 
and how the, the studio brought him in and basically showed him all this data. And it was exactly what you were talking about, that that the the movie going audience today isn't isn't like I mean, I'm 46. They're not like I was when I was a kid, when I was going every Friday, regardless of what was in the theater. They're going to the movies for big blockbuster films that they don't want to miss out on being a part of. Mm-hmm. And and he, and he and they showed they tracked they showed Christopher McQuarrie the the box office returns for all the Mission Impossible movies and how that franchise changed over time based off of the shifting demographics of the movie going audience and through that he ended up making a decision and because of you know Tom Cruise's involvement to go ahead <laughs> and make the next movie and all that kind of stuff we all know that but that is just serving as sort of an anecdotal example of what you're talking about it makes sense it's a bummer for me and I think it's a bummer for you because. Like and I've mentioned this before, a show like the Star Wars show could easily bring on something somebody involved in, in the production of episode 9, not even give us any details of what's going on in the movie. Just talk about the process. Just talk about the art making process or the set making process. And just because they're a part of 9, that's enough for the fandom to kind of be like, "Yeah, cool. I'm down with it." But they're just they're starving us right now and I don't I don't like that. I don't I'm Mr. Positivity, but I don't like that they're doing this to us right now. It bums it bums me out. Okay, there's there's a lot to unpack there, and like I said, okay, so I don't want to get too far into movie stuff. Or, 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 or like, no, because I like this stuff. I know we have a contingent of our audience that's the uh, stick to the issues crowd. That's like stick to the topic. Sure, uh, sure. But but there's, but there is so much to learn about what the thought process is to Star Wars because it is. It Star Wars is no longer being run by a madman. That, that says, you know what, uh, I'm going to call them uh, Gungas, no Gungans, Dooku, Doku. <laughs> right, that, he can't even pronounce his own his own character. Yep. Exactly, that madman is no longer in control. And I know the fan base drove him out of Star Wars, or at least that's what he claims, we'll never know. But it, it boils down to that. It's just, like I said, the Star Wars show, I don't know why that exists. I think that's only there for Lucasfilm's own like internal PR. And they, 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 it's kind of like stroking someone's ego. You bring someone in that worked on, like I don't know, just for example, pulling this name out of a hat, Doug Chang, the concept artist. Sure. You have him on there, he gets to feel special. No harm, yeah. no foul. It's stroking somebody's ego internally. Whatever. I don't care. Whatever makes them happy doesn't bother me. Um, but when it comes to something like the title, like you said, the title is kind of inexplicable because we got the Force Awakens one like in November of like a year prior to the movie. We got Last Jedi at the end of January or mid-January. In this, it's like, why are they holding it for so long? It is. It's it's Endgame. Because if you remember, I remember back at the end of October, I think it was like October 2014, Kevin Feige went out there and he announced all of phase three of Marvel. And yes, some things changed. They put Spider-Man in, they took Inhumans out, but he basically announced every single film. And the problem, and that was both a curse and a blessing for Marvel in that that happened before Age of Ultron came out. And the thing that happened, they kind of blame this for part of the reason why Age of Ultron underperformed and why a lot of people don't consider that the uh, the grand sequel to the Avengers. Right. Is that they announced Captain America Civil War and 90% of the fan base or the, or the – I'm sorry, not the fan base. The social media influencers, the Peter Serettas, the, um, <laughs> the, the them, the them, the, the movie bloggers, the ones sure, that have sure, influence. Sure, yeah. They yeah. sat there and said, we don't care about Ultron. We want Civil War. And guess what? You lost the momentum. Think about it. They announced that they were doing a two Avengers film, one in May of 2018 and one in May of 2019, and obviously that changed as well. But they deliberately – think about it. They announced that in October of 2014, and we did not get the Endgame title until December of 2018. That's four years waiting for a title. 
And obviously that's not that's not a apples to apples comparison here. It's not even apples to oranges comparison. But it's the whole idea that Marvel learned that you 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 prime your audience. And of course, Disney bought Star Wars so they could have another Marvel in its stables. And when Solo crapped out on them, for whatever reason. You can anybody can believe whatever they want. Is it because of the Last Jedi? Was it because of the fact that the kids these days don't care about a prequel to a forty-year-old character? It's anybody's guess at that point. Nobody knows for certain. Disney doesn't know for certain. All they know is that it didn't work, and that's what happened. They they figure okay, if Marvel's going to keep if, if it works for Marvel, why can't it work for that for us? And that's really that's the sad state of things. Everything is Marvel. And that's why I think because uh, for Cinemonides, the movie podcast I do next month, spoiler alert, we're doing the Avengers Endgame experiment. I want to be an endgame. I want to be your first string. I want to be your A team. I want to be your endgame, endgame. And it was because I had a horrible, horrible experience seeing Infinity War. And we w- and basically we spent the entire month kind of just talking about like uh, kind of dissecting Marvel. Rob does not like Marvel. I'm kind of indifferent toward it now. And it's the idea that you look at movies, like you take a kid, like you take an eight-year-old that saw Iron Man or Thor or Captain America, and by the time Endgame and Infinity War come out, they're on their way to college. For the most, well, not exactly, but you get my drift. Is that the sure, audience sure. is aged? The people that they were making Captain America: The First Avenger for are now no longer children, and I think that's the concern. Is that they're looking at this? It's kind of like shooting a moving target in the dark, and somehow Kevin Feige has cracked that code. And and, for, and the easiest explanation for that is the episodic the episodic nature of the Marvel films. And Disney, I think that's why, like you talked about this week in my nerd world, or when people hear this, it was five days ago. <laughs> it, it was, yeah, it's always fun recording these things and, and delaying them. <laughs> but I think it's the idea that happened with the Kenobi solo movie. It's that, oh crap, solo didn't work. And it also ties into the whole reactive nature of Hollywood. Yeah, and and yeah. guess what? I, I joke about it is that we're going to live in a future that there might be more Disney Star Wars TV shows in the form of the streaming service than there might be movies. We might come to that point where there's not a new Star Wars movie coming out once every year, two years, but we get the Cassian Endor series. We get the Mandalorian. We get the Mandalorian 2, Mandalorian Harder. Like, we, we get all these other. Like, I, I know what, like, you saw the rumors. Like, oh, there's going to be a Rose Tico series. No, there's oh, going to be yeah, a Finn series. That was it's, just development nonsense. I didn't buy but, that one for a but, second. But yeah, I hear you. But I believe that they're probably having, like you said, with Darth Talon. They're probably just literally throwing every single name onto a dry erase board being like, okay, why is this work? Pros and cons. Why is this character work? And I think the problem with Star Wars is that they're they're hopping around with Star Wars too much. You go from Force Awakens, a new era of Star Wars, but very nostalgic thematically. Rogue One, uh, you're going backwards in time, but it's also very nostalgic thematically. Then you go to Last Jedi, Kill the past if you have to, which is going forward and it's telling you to ignore the nostalgia. Then you immediately go right back to Solo, which is nostalgia, but it's a new story. And you're giving the audience whiplash. You can't pull the audience in that many different directions. I'll say, and and I will, I, I I do agree with you that they are doing that. And I do think that there is a level of sort of... Um, a lack of coherency to all of it because of that reason. 
That being said, I'll go back to what you said, though, about sort of the 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 casual fan base, not the hardcore fan. The hardcore fans like us are going to notice and pick up on that once the movies are out and done and on our shelves. It doesn't matter anymore. You know what I mean? Nobody if people are purchasing them, bringing them home, you know, just like I have. I'm looking at my entire shelf of, of you know, 10 years of Marvel films on on Blu-ray. Um, I don't care any jumping around in time that may have happened because of. You know, Captain America, you know, for, for, for that example. Mm-hmm. I get it when it comes out in the theater, and that may end up contributing to diminishing box office returns. Um, and certainly that's going to – and I and I think they're going to try to get their arms around it if this Benioff and Wise rumor of that going into production in the fall, which could mean a movie next year, next December, and it being Old Republic. I said that on the show this week. It makes a lot of sense to me that Disney would stop stop the forward timeline, and instead of playing – in the in the the in the theaters with the in-between timelines of the existing films no we're gonna go way back prior to everything and and do a trilogy based off of a former timeline we've never been in before and take a break theatrically from the timeline that we've been playing in for the past you know 40 40 some odd years that to me would make a lot of sense on if for 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 disney and lucasfilm to do if that is indeed what they're what they're doing and then down far enough down the line, if he Ryan Johnson's comes out, and if it's further in the timeline past episode nine, then that makes some sense as well. Yeah, like I said, I, I'd love to be a fly on the wall at Lucasfilm. It probably would irritate me, but it would be incredibly enlightening. I want to be involved in the process. Oh no, I, that's I, I, I've, all, I've always again. It's every every Star Wars dream one to be like, oh, I got to be involved with Star Wars. Um, I, anytime somebody says that, I say, go ask Gareth Edwards how that worked yeah. out for him. Um, well, the, guy, the, guy, the guy made a billion dollar movie and he hasn't got a single job three years later. Well, I know for me personally, and I won't wipe out on this, but just real quick, I know for me personally, like like going down this new creative path of writing these stories has really opened my eyes when it comes to just the creative process and how things how things potentially could be formed. Because I imagine much like I'm writing this trilogy now, it's very much in the same way they crafted the sequel trilogy, where I've got a beginning, middle, and end. I know what's going to happen, but I have no idea the, the details in between of how that of how I get to those points. Mm-hmm. Um, that just all comes out just in the in the writing process, and I, I feel like that's very similar to what they've been doing. I did the same thing with Embark. I planted little tiny seeds, knowing that when I got to the second book, which I'm finishing this weekend, that I could go and play with those things if I wanted to. And sure enough, I'm going to play with a few of those things. Um, so that's kind of where I was pulling that before with uh, with J.J. Abrams. Let me let me re- real quick, and I know we need to get back to at least spend a little bit of time on the topic at hand. We did it again, <laughs> okay? But real quick, this is my fear going into celebration, and we can tie this back to to uh, sure. you can or you're you're the host here, not me. Um, <laughs> Here's my fear. My fear going into celebration is that's going to be a massive weekend dump of Star Wars information between Fallen Order, um, Mandalorian, Clone Wars coming back, the next season of Resistance. I mean, we're getting so much content that weekend. My fear of why they held on to the title <laughs> is that the trailer is going to be that trailer I don't want. The trailer yeah. is going to be sparse, and they wanted the added little bing of the title attached to it in order to sort of diminish any expectation that individuals like, like myself might have of getting a celebration 2015 the force awakens first official teaser style trailer i'm i'm fearful and that's why they've held on to the title uh yeah I, oh yeah i've i think back in um when we had you in december i was like john how are we gonna handle this a year from now 
when we have Clone Wars saved, Resistance, Fallen Order, Mandalorian, Episode 9. How are we going to balance all this? And you're like, I'll handle it. <laughs> and, I, I, and I think that was it. It was like, I'll handle it. I'm like, nothing else? You're like, right. no, I'll figure it out. Yeah, and I will, I, but... Of course, but like I think, like no, I agree with you 110. percent I think every week now that I listen to um, my Nerve World, much like Emperor Palpatine, Return of the Jedi, I'm like, good, let the anger flow through you. I just I'm want s- more to talk about. I just want more to munch on, man. I'm so and that's, happy. And that's, but that's that's exactly what I mean, though. Is because like, even looking, I know they just released the um the episode. I'm sorry, the celebration timeline of all different panels. And if you look at it, the very first one is episode nine. Mm-hmm. So I think I think somebody made a room. Uh, it's on Twitter. I forget who it is. I, I apologize if I don't remember you. It's that I think you're going to literally begin. They're going to begin this panel with the trailer, and that's how they're going to do it. Like it'll go dark in the whatever you want to call it, auditorium, however they do these things, and it'll be the trailer, and that'll be the catalyst for the rest of the hour, however long the panel is. I think yeah, it's an hour. That's what it's going to be. Because if you look at that schedule just for that Friday, they go from episode nine to the Vader Immortal VR thing that we barely know anything about. Then the next day on Saturday, it's all about Galaxy's Edge. And then after that, it's the video game. And then Sunday, it's the Mandalorian. Yeah. Then Star Wars or Clone Wars Saved. And Monday's the Phantom Menace panel. And then or, and that's it for the most part. It's I think that's what it is, though. Is that you are good. I don't, I don't even see the resistance one. The resistance one must be saved for a smaller uh, space. It's just, I think that's what it is, though, is that they're going to do a mass dump. And you remember that, like, usually, what is it, the uh, the week before a, a Force Friday or whatever the toy launch is, we always get that dump of, like, there's so much information you can't keep track of it all. And that's cute when you're just some person that's like it's a notification on their Twitter like feed saying like oh there's gonna be this like it's Triple Force Friday like oh that's cute but like you said if you are somebody who's in the whatever you want to call it uh, professional fan community whatever we're calling ourselves now um, <laughs> jerks that spend our own money to advertise a corporate product it's it's the idea of like oh my lord how are we like how like again think about it. you and I are thinking of this how are we going to cover all this and give it its due time. Yet they're the people that Their stock price is based off a lot of this And no I agree with you absolutely I think we're going to um, get that episode 9 trailer And by the I think they know I think you've said it before That the movies will always be the uh, the tent poles of all this no, mm-hmm. matter how, no matter how good the Mandalorian is No matter how great Fallen Order is Which with EA's involvement Is kind of a giant question mark I, I think it's, it depends But I think they figure that episode 9 thing's going to kick off the entire it's they're going to dominate that weekend when it comes to uh, entertainment news, right? And and, and, and uh, I imagine too that it's going to be a lot like it was in 2015 and also in 2017, where it's not just the trailer at there either. It's also a lot of the um, they had that whole because I went to I went to celebration 2015 in Anaheim. Um, okay. They they had that whole room dedicated to the Force Awakens, and that was the first that we saw anything right after the trailer dropped, and it was all the. Um, the mo- I had the models and all of the outfits, and that's where I first learned about the First Order and Kylo Ren and all this kind of stuff. And so I imagine they'll probably have some kind of display. So we'll be getting fed photos and stuff of of stuff from Episode Nine as well. And and you're right, we'll work through it. The way I always handle it on the show, I just talk about the stuff I care about. You know, <laughs> I, I that's all I do. If it's something that I, that I'm not that into, if it's a video game, I just don't even bother. You know, cover, covering it. I hadn't even really talked about Resistance until this past week, just because that last that season. Um, this first season finale I thought was awesome, but, um, 
Yeah, that was cool. No, I definitely, my opinion on uh, Resistance appreciated over the course of this past eight months or so. It got better. Yeah. The, the, the second half of the season got better. Yeah. It's a good um, show. Yeah, no, I, no I, I think it's definitely coming into its own, which, uh, again, I, I, I don't know. Star, Star Wars, a lot of it, too, the same. I say that a lot now as time goes on. It's like, I don't know. It's just the whole idea. It's like, you know what? I can try. I, I feel like I'm doing the same thing they're doing. I am taking a shot in the dark of a moving target. Uh, the only good thing, though, is that my financial well-being isn't based around it. So, you know what? I at least get to sleep a little easier than they do. <laughs> Somebody made a comment online, uh, and I've seen many people make this comment. And it's this idea that, um, like, episode nine needs to be long because there's so much to wrap up. And how is JJ going to fit it all in and tie up all these loose ends? I don't see it that way at all. I see, actually, episode nine, it, for, a, for, for a lot of different reasons, it's kind of just it can easily, for those that didn't like The Last Jedi... I think episode nine can very easily just be a sequel to to The Force Awakens, as long as you just sort of fill in the gaps of what happened with Luke in your head because of the way that The Last Jedi played out in terms of the timeline and where all the characters are now. They've all been through a bunch of crap, but they're kind of all in the same spot that they were, much like they were at the end of like in the end of, of The Empire Strikes Back. You know, um, you've got Han gone. Right. So he's a frozen in carbonite. And at the end of The Last Jedi, you got Luke gone. Because he, you know, he ended up dying. But other than that, all the characters, like the like the the rebels in Empire Strikes Back, were still on the run. They just were not Hoth anymore. They had all been through some stuff. So I think that when it comes to this idea that JJ has a lot to wrap up, I, I don't think that he does. He can kind of tell whatever story he wants to tell and have it be an almost direct sequel to the events that ended up taking place in The Force Awakens. Yeah, exactly. That's uh that's exactly what I said last uh, last week. It was just kind of my idea was, yeah, it's good. I think episode eight is going to be kind of like the Dark Knight of the Christopher Nolan Batman films. I think it's going to be there, but I think the final chapter is going to tie in more to Batman Begins than it is the Dark Knight. And I think mm-hmm. and I, and I think that's there both by um, design, the sense of like, oh, that's just a story JJ wants to tell. It could also, I think it's, I think it's going to be like, it can be interpreted many different ways. So when the, when the man babies go see this come December, they can point to it and say, see, they acknowledged that everything they did in the last Jedi was wrong. Then you and I can look at it and just say what you just said. It's like, no, JJ started this and JJ came back. He's telling, Mm -hmm. he's telling the story. Episode eight was kind of like a pit stop in the grand scheme of things. It's, it's yes. You have some revelations thrown in there though, but really nothing that really throws the chessboard up in the air. No, and I and I think that you are really relevant in pointing out those seeds, as we mentioned in The Force Awakens, because J.J. can play with those if he wants to. I do think I think that there's a very good chance based off of some of the leaks. And I know you saw him, too, of the um, the change of the First Order Trooper design with the split down the mask and how that was part of the um, the uh, the swag that was released to the to, to the uh, to the crew members. You saw that, yes. right? Oh, yes. OK, OK. I, I, I would not be surprised if that reference to the clone army isn't one of those things that he might pull from. And that by the time we get to like, we're going to find out that actually Kylo was doing something similar or was preparing for clones. And maybe that's the new, probably not, but more to my point, I think that JJ did put a lot of seeds in the force awakens that he can absolutely use and will use in episode nine, even though they weren't touched at all. Mm-hmm. Especially the Knights of Ren, even though they weren't touched at all in the Last Jedi. Yeah, the Knights of Ren. I know. I, I think people are. I don't. That's, uh, the problem with the Knights of Ren, though, is that 
I, I don't think there's any way to do them without disappointing people. They've been, I don't know why people, I remember because last week I had Rob on. Rob's my residential star, layman Star Wars fan. And it's like, oh, he's like, I have no idea what these characters are. He's like, should I know them? And I'm like, no, because they have one line of, di- they only have a line of dialogue. They have one reference and that's it. We don't know anything else about them. And I know there's things like the acolytes of the, of the beyond from the aftermath books that people really be like, no, that was their predecessor. And it's like, maybe, but I can't imagine JJ sitting down with Chuck Wendig's trilogy of books one weekend being like, guys, I have the answers. <laughs> uh, I, I just don't take it for that type of person. Like you said before, I, I think you've mentioned a couple of times. It's like, oh, I can't imagine JJ watching Resistance and being like, oh, I need a shot of the Colossus in this. Right. I, I, whereas I can imagine like somebody went to Gareth Edwards during the making of Rogue One and been like, hey, we have this ship called the Ghost. Any way we could fit this in, fit that ship into like a scene? I could very easily imagine Gareth Edwards because, like you said, he has less of an ego than someone like JJ. Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, sure, like somebody from like the story group could like, like I, I, I'm just pulling names out of a hat again. Someone. Like Matt Martin or Leland Chi could be like, hey, can we fit this in there somehow? Like, it doesn't have any prominence. There's no like specific scene tied to it. It's just in there in the background. It's an Easter egg. I could imagine that happening with those types of films, like with Solo, like where they had what tagging Bink. Very easily, that could be a thing. Or Min Bond from Splinter of the Mind's Eye. It's that I could believe. But with JJ, it's like, no, this is mine. Like, again, it is that this is where I don't, I think I don't like him as a person. And maybe I'm projecting onto him. I don't mean to do that. He's probably a very nice guy on a one to one level. But like, I remember I was hearing something about him in the news the other day. And I don't want anyone to think I'm getting political. But I think it was this weekend he was hosting a fundraising dinner, like $20,000 a plate. Uh, if you decide not to have John Justice come to your house to read and bark to you, you can do this instead. <laughs> he was hosting a political di- or a fundraising dinner for Kamala Harris. And again, I don't yeah. care. I'm not talking for our audience. I'm not talking political. He could do it for Trump. He could do it for anybody he wants. That's not the issue here. But like if you're JJ and you're working at this point, he's working on the post-production for episode nine. And let's say it's Friday night. And like anybody who works a job Friday afternoon, you're always thinking about what you're going to do this weekend. You can't tell me that he doesn't have his mind more on the political fundraising dinner than he does on episode nine that day. Like where I can imagine Gary, I think about it, someone like Ryan Johnson, Ron Howard, uh, 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 what's his name or uh, Lord and Miller before they got canned. They don't have those sort of pressures or external stimuli on their thought process. Hmm. I yeah, think maybe. that's and again, I'm not saying that JJ can't compartmentalize. Sure. I'm sure. just saying that he is somebody that's he, he's like a Jeffrey Katzenberg almost. He's not just a, a, cause Jeffrey Katzenberg never directed the film. He's more of a guru or a like a studio head almost than he is a filmmaker. And I think that's kind of like what you said with the the cantina. It's like, oh, well, I that's a like when somebody says, "Oh, if I walked into a Star Wars movie and I don't see a cantina, I'm going to be disappointed." That's the producer talking. That's not the filmmaker. The filmmaker should be looking at that going, "How do how does that scene enhance my film overall?" And that's and that's what bugs me about JJ. Not that, like I said, I, I'm indifferent to him. I don't think he's ever made a truly bad film. He just made a lot of vanilla films. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think that's what bothers me about him. He make kick ass action sequences. <laughs> but at the, but okay, this is a question I want, I want to ask you. Okay, good. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up. 
So we keep talking about the end of episode nine being this space battle to end all space battles. It's going to be a zero G sequence. It's going to yeah, be Ray and I, Kylo Ren doing all this stuff. I think that's good. That, the zero G thing I think is, is going to be, I don't know. That sounds to me like something that's going to happen, but it's going to be like 30 seconds long. I like can tell you, I can tell you what that gonna is. going to knock out the grab generator. They float around for 30 seconds and then it's back on again. That's what, that's what I, I but I can tell you what that's in reference to right now. Okay. Uh, somebody, whoever's because a lot of these scoops are coming from people that aren't steeped in Star Wars lore. So what it is, they're probably. I don't think there's gonna be. Again, I could be wrong, but I don't think there's gonna be a zero G like fight in this. I can't even think like, like a Neo versus Agent Smith. I'm not talking about that type of zero G sequence. I think, or I'm sorry, that's what somebody's imagining or what they're saying. I think what someone saw was probably Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver on. Um, Oh god, what's it called? They have them in the like in the harness with the strings. So you can All right, the like, wire, yeah, the, the wire work. The, the wire work. Wire work. I think somebody saw that and they're interpreting it as it's zero G. Yeah, that's how I, they. I, I would agree. Yeah, and I think, and I think that's why you have to discern a lot of the information that comes out of these rumors. Much like like Ahsoka says, there's always a little bit of truth in legends. There, you can glean information. Like I remember back when Rogue One, when like all the the Gareth Edwards like the film being taken away from him and given to Tony Gilroy, there was a rumor going around that like, oh, all the the the, the secret mission that Jyn Erso has to go on is uh, she's going. This was the rumor. Oh, she's going to investigate the cargo walkers. The 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 Empire's doing this, and the Rebels are concerned about cargo walkers. And I'm like, no, the the Rebels <laughs> wouldn't care about cargo walkers. But in that same rumor, the guy put out he goes oh there's a sequence at the end of the movie where darth vader goes jason Voorhees on some rebel troopers and everybody guess what threw the baby out with the bathwater, and dis- right. disregard the entire rumor and guess what that guy was more spot on than anybody can give him credit for yep and i think that's when it comes to these rumors that we have to know how to discern like the knights again going back to the knights of ren it's the idea of will the knights of ren make an appearance Maybe as an, as another uh, unless they unless JJ really has like hardwired them into the plot because you've heard the rumors that apparently Kylo Ren at some point in this comes over to the good guy's side whether it be Ben Demption or just uh, he realizes that he's there's a coup d'état against him right here's my expectation based off of what and again thinking of the thinking of Episode Nine as more of a direct sequel because there really there really aren't a lot of threads. That JJ, in my opinion, needs to pull on from the Last Jedi. We got rid of Snoke. I don't care if we get any more backstory on him; it doesn't matter to me. I don't think we're going to get it. We may get a line or two in Episode Nine, but I don't think it's going to happen. We we know where you know Kylo's now leading the First Order, and and Ray is with the Resistance, and they're probably trying to recruit a bunch of people to their cause. Um, I think we will get the big space battle one because we haven't had the big one yet in any of these movies, and. I believe that JJ is going to want something that's going to rival what we got in Return of the Jedi. We're probably going to open the film going back to Jakku, much in the same way we went back to Tatooine at the beginning of Return of the Jedi. Your jungle planet and the art that's in the art book, I think we're absolutely going there. I think that's probably going to double as like our Endor, if I had to guess. Um, And the end of the movie is going to be another one of these multiple acts going on based off the fact that Carrie Fisher passed away and knowing that they're using a bunch of footage. We also know that there was a whole subplot that was supposed to involve some type of what they call the hammerhead. I don't remember what they called it. The the war hammer, the war hammer, right? I think that there's going to be a super weapon, but the super weapon is going to be something along the lines of the war hammer and the rebels, the resistance are the ones that are going to, that are going to have it. 
So that's where I think this is going to mirror Return of the Jedi and bring in the stuff that he didn't do in The Force Awakens that haven't been done in the series. And I also think that the biggest thing for me, and, I, and I've mentioned this on the podcast the past couple of weeks, it's, it's okay if it doesn't come to fruition, but I think that J.J. is really going to zero in because we already know that it was shown at the shareholders meeting, but the idea of Kylo Ren and Vader and the helmet and finish what you started, he started that, he did it for a reason, and I think that's going to be another, this episode nine is going to be largely based on Kylo Ren pissed off and going to his redemption. He's trying to figure out how to finish what Vader started. And through that, he's going to end up finding, you know, some type of revelation or something that ends up bringing him to the light side and probably some other big bad in some way, shape or form or somebody within the first order to have that has to be killed off in order to make everybody happy that the bad guy dies. This kind of thing. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think the Work biggest mission. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. I'm guilty of that all the time. It's nice to have somebody else doing that. I don't feel lonely. Uh, no, I agree. I think the biggest question for episode nine that no one's really looking at is who's going to be the villain of episode nine? Right. Like, that's right. my question because clearly, like you said, we have no more. Like, think about the, one of the big hallmarks beyond the brother sister thing of Jedi is uh, the Palpatine. You get to see the Emperor for the first time. And Ryan Johnson threw the, cut the Emperor in half. So it's like, you know what? I, that's what I'm excited for. I, I hope we get that. Um, could it be the Sith Troopers or the Red Storm Troopers as we keep hearing? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Could it be the Knights of Ren? I don't, I, you know what? As long as it's satisfying, I don't care. You know what? I, and, and, and this is going to, and I know no, we got we to end on this. It's probably the worst place to end on. But I would not be sad if they did it right, if somehow Pelagus made an appearance again. <laughs> oh, God, no. I do. No, Absolutely man, just not. to tie Absolutely it in, not. I do. I, if, they, if they brought that into the mix somehow, I just think, I, if they had to make it work, I'm just saying I wouldn't be opposed to it. I like that idea better than what some people are out there talking about bringing Palpatine back. I'd much rather see a direct line or something in regards to Plagueis that was mentioned back in Revenge of the Sith and the tie to Palpatine than this idea that we're going to end up bringing Palpatine or Darth Sidious back in some way, shape, or form. We have to find that clip of, I think it was at Celebration 2015 when someone asked Lawrence Kasdan about the Darth Vegas. He's like, Darth Vegas? Yeah. Hi, my name is Jonathan. And what is your question, Jonathan? Is there going to be any mention of Darth Plagueis in Episode 7? Maybe surrounding a certain staff that someone finds? Oh. <laughs> is that... Larry? Larry? <clears throat> uh, I, I don't think I heard correct. Is it Darth Vegas? Like, uh, Las Vegas? <laughs> <laughs> Darth... <laughs> Vader? No, he's Larry's messing with you. Uh, I don't think we, you know, we don't want to be talking about story uh, too much too soon. But uh, I will say no. That should be just on loop constantly. Just let people know that it's like these people have I, no idea about I, your I precious know, EU. I know it won't happen. I'm just saying if it did, and they were looking for a big bad, to me that would be kind of cool. That's just me though. Um, no, like it's maybe, not gonna happen. Maybe Snoke will clone himself, like in the the comics no, from like the nineties. No, no cloning of important people. I'm clone fine everybody. With everybody gets a clone. Ray gets, Every- imagine we get Ray, but like Luke with two U's. We get Ray with two E's. Ray, wouldn't that be great? Ray has to find a clone of herself. I'd be fine with a. I'd be fine with a clone of Ray. I'd be. <laughs> but that's just more for personal purposes. <laughs> oh God! All right. Last thing I'm gonna say. This is how we're gonna officially end this episode. All right, John. I'd like you to go to page 250 of the Art of the Force Awakens book. All right. 
It's like the last page or like practically the last page. Yeah, you're right. It is. Oh, are you talking about the uh, the one with? Oh no, you're you talking about the sunset one where they're looking out over the sunset and then the orange guy. Yes, and it's Ray and Leia. And if you keep in mind, the end of the Force Awakens had a Ray and Leia moment. The end of the Last Jedi has a Ray and Leia moment. And keep in mind that if if you think about it, Return of the Jedi was about a story of a father and his son. Could be the story of a mother and her daughter. Just I I, I don't believe it, but I'm just you know what? How do it's you there. reconcile that? It's not my okay. What, I know okay, about John, the girl, John. John, <laughs> John what, yeah. what did JJ say about the cantina in the Force Awakens? I know, I know. I'm but gonna I find. I, I pulled out my Force Awakens Blu-ray, and you're right. It's called The Secrets of the Force Awakens: The yes. Journey. I'm going to find that clip. And I'm going to put that clip of JJ saying that in here like a hundred times. You gotta go. You gotta watch it, man. Just gonna. I, I wish I could be there with you to watch it, just to watch your reaction of the revelations in that and how it feeds your thought process about J.J. Abrams. On the one hand, I think cynically you could go, oh, they're just trying to do the cantina again. But on the other hand, it's Star Wars. And if you don't have a version of that, I would leave feeling like, well, where was that? <laughs> how could they not do the cantina? So it's how do we do the cantina but not do the cantina? I can certainly understand your 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 thoughts on that. So that's all right. I don't know, all right. I don't know, I don't know how they. I don't, I don't know how you. How 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 that ends up happening? You I'll know. Hey, you, you know what? I'll wait. I'll, I'll, wait I'll tell you this: if you go back to your Return of the Jedi history, in the scene when they're get, like after they've blown up Jabba's sail barge and they're going back to the Falcon in the sandstorm, Leia kisses Luke. So Lucas had them still being a romantic item in that film during editing. All right, Never mind filming. All right. So I'm just saying, the I'll give it to you. No, no, happen. I know. I'll, I'll I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. You're right. You're absolutely right. It would it wouldn't take much or just an ignoring. I get you. Yeah, you make a lot of sense. I don't know right. if I want to come no, back no, on your show again, no, but you make no, a lot please, of sense. no. I don't want to make sense. I okay. I want everybody to know. I don't want this to happen, but I have a weird feeling. And I hate it when I have this feeling. <laughs> All right. So concludes this episode of the Knights of Vader, a Star Wars podcast. Check out our Facebook group, type of Knights of Vader in the Facebook, and chances are you'll find it. Find us on Instagram at KOV Podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. Thank you to Anne Spiriority Complex for providing our theme song. Check out the show notes to hear more from them. For questions, comments, concerns, or sniper remarks, contact me, Zach, on Twitter at Cinemodies. And you can also hear me on the Cinemodies podcast. We'll be talking about 2001's Evolution starring David Duchovny, a movie that barely exists. But well, when you're not spending, yeah, it's a neat movie. <laughs> that movie's um, funny. Yeah, but when you're not spending twenty thousand dollars a plate to go see Kamala Harris, you too can have John Justice come and read Embark to you. John, <laughs> where can people find you when you're not in their home reading them Embark? All right, so you can go on. Uh, it's uh, at the My Nerd World or John J O N Justice on uh, on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook uh, there as well. And uh, the podcast My Nerd World is all over the place. And uh, like I mentioned before, just for a quick plug, I'm uh, wrapping up the uh, the follow up uh, book to Embark, which was out last November. You can get the first book right now on Amazon.com. Just search for Embark John J O N Justice. Uh, audiobook, paperback, and ebook all available. Audiobook produced and narrated by me. I wrote it for my love of Star Wars, even though it's not a Star Wars story. Uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, you should enjoy it. So uh, go and go and pick it up. I'd appreciate it. And man, oh, by the way, real quick, I love your intro. Can I just tell you oh. that? 
That oh, intro, cool. your in, your intro is like the best intro of any podcast. I love that song, and I don't know why. It's just a nice little Star Wars ditty. But holy yes. cow, it brings me so much joy whenever I listen to it. So I just wanted to say that. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And wherever Rob is, Rob is uh, throwing something up in the air in celebration. So I'll make <laughs> sure he gets that message. Well, thanks for having me on again, man. I really do appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. Well, I look forward to having you on when Embark 2. Uh, is that the title? Uh, Crimes of uh, Katha? Is that the title? Crimes no, of Katha? No, or no, Day, Day of the Taft? It's going to be one, or, or one of those Hollywood titles that are just so brilliant. It's the, it's the day after Argum. Oh, even better. I like it. <laughs> so when, when we finally get that come sometime later this year, we'll have John on again to, uh, at that time, uh, cause it's a new release. It'll cost even more to have him come to your home. They'll, but maybe he'll give you a double package. He'll rebolt them through you for $30,000. Yeah. Yeah. One, yeah. I'll do pay that. That's three, four. Yeah. Sounds good folks. You hear it here first. All right, John, thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure. And I look forward to hearing, seeing the episode nine title as you do in a couple of weeks. I'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks for having All right. me. Adios. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. On the one hand, I think cynically you could go, oh, they're just trying to do the cantina again. But on the other hand, it's Star Wars. And if you don't have a version of that, no. I would be feeling like, well, where is that? No. How no. not do the cantina? No, no, so no. How do we do no. the cantina but not do Hell it? no. 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 I refuse. No. No.